Hey, Common Ground. Uh, my name is Luke, if you're joining us for the first time, and I'm thrilled to be able to be sharing a message with you today. Spring is finally here, is it not? Uh, the other night, we as a family, just we went on our first kind of spring adventure. No, it wasn't to the flowers, but we uh, made supper and we put the supper in a picnic basket and we drove up to the top of Chapman's Peak where we put down a picnic blanket and we ate a meal together with kind of the whole of the Atlantic Ocean underneath our feet. Uh, I mean, we hadn't been able to go there. We've done this before, but we hadn't been able to go there for some time because of lockdown. And so... I mean, it really was the most incredible evening and it actually caught me off guard just how beautiful it is. I mean, you're sitting there and kind of behind you, as far as you can see up, is this mountain towering over you. And then as far as you can see to the left and as far as you can see to the right is this glorious, glassy Atlantic blue ocean as the sun makes its way and sets. And I mean, honestly, the, be the beauty is overtaking it stops you in your tracks. It takes your breath literally away and just captures you. I'd missed it. And I'd missed it because simply because of lockdown and COVID, we hadn't been able to do it for so long. Suddenly now we've got fresh opportunities to do so many of the things that we'd missed out doing. And I'm gonna to speak to that in a second. Uh, before I do that, I'd love to just pause and, and just locate us. This is the final message in our citizens' uh, preaching journey, our Sunday preaching journey through the subject of citizens. It's interesting for you to know maybe we had no plan at the beginning of 2020 of speaking through citizens. It wasn't even something on our radar. This was something that emerged as we just kind of felt the need to look at current realities facing us as Cape Tonians in the midst of the, this really new uh, world we find ourselves in. It's been a remarkable journey as I was reflecting on all the different things we've been through together. Personally, it's been profound. We started off by looking at uh, eternal citizens in a temporary world, what it means to have our primary identity rooted in the reality of our heavenly citizenship and understanding that our earthly deployment is only but for this brief moment. Rigby coached us through being citizens of God in a polarized world where, where, where we looked at uh, seeing destructive anger giving way to life-giving gentleness. In, in such a polarized world, uh, citizens of God in a consumer world, that we would be those who, in a world that is obsessed with what it can get, we are those who are filling this world with the very likeness of God. Citizens of God in an unholy world, that, that we've been set apart in this world and are being trained and, and more and more becoming the best versions of ourselves as we are conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Citizens of God in an unjust world. Who can forget Andre coaching us so profoundly through what it looks like to do justice, to walk humbly and to love mercy, to be those people in our society who bring justice in the space of injustice. Uh, Ryan incredibly coached us through being citizens of God in a racially divided world, creating space for the sin of partiality to be removed from our hearts, to see every human being as who God made them to be. And then last week, Lou so profoundly coached us through citizens of God in a hurried world, what it looks like to live according to the eternal rhythms of heaven in the midst of our small sea citizenship here on earth. And today as we land, I wanna land by asking the question, what does it mean to be citizens of God in a world with endless possibilities? 
Let me explain. Can you remember lockdown level five? I mean, I know it was some distance away, but can you remember level five? We were so limited. We could hardly go anywhere or hardly do anything. At one stage, you could only buy winter clothes. Do you remember that? Uh, ben, my, 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 my um, how old is Ben? My 10-year-old son said to me uh, one day in level five, he said, Dad, is this what it's like to live in North Korea? I mean, we were locked in, right? And then slowly since then, things have been able to, to open up. Can, I mean, I come from the South Peninsula, so this is kind of a big deal for us. But at one stage, you were allowed to go fishing, but you couldn't go on the beach. And so the surfers were wondering, could you kind of zip line over the beach and then get into the water? But then what would you do if, when you wanted to get back, right? These were the kinds of things that people were talking about during lockdown. We moved from level five all the way to level two. Suddenly children were back at school and parents had to grapple with morning routines again that were so different. We've been able to visit friends, go to restaurants, go to gym, uh, be in nature, legally be on the beaches, right? Even go to gym. There's so many possibilities, right? This is our moment of re-entry. And I want to ask us to stop for a second and to think about what it means to be citizens of God in this moment of re-entry. If you're joining us today and you're not yet a Christ follower, this is going to be such a good message for you to look into. I mean, there's going to be some great practical wisdom for your life, but you're also going to get a window into what makes Christianity, what makes this faith so real and so powerful for our lives. I'll even give you an opportunity at the end of the message to cross the line of faith for yourself, should you choose to, to, to begin a journey walking uh, this walk with Jesus, especially as we re-enter into this world of all these possibilities. The reality is that COVID and lockdown probably for most of us is a bit like a stick in the spoke of the bicycles of our lives, right? For some of us, we've been flung over the handlebars. Man, I've been sympathizing and walking with so many friends who've just been kind of really taken out by this season. For, for many of us though, not so much thrown over the handlebars, but more just a forced slowing, a forced stopping, a, 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 an opportunity to stop and to reevaluate the pace and the rhythms and the priorities, the spending habits of our lives, right? And to ask the kind of greater question of what kind of human being is the way that I'm living making me become? This is that moment where we need to stop and think before we just re-engage because there's a very real danger in this moment that we kind of just get swept up into the way things were and we miss the opportunity to, to come back in different, to engage and to live really countercultural lives, heavenly lives here on earth. And so today we look at how do we navigate this re-entry moment? And the way I wanna do that is by looking at how Jesus coached the disciples through a kind of moment of re-entry. For three years, Jesus had walked closely with his disciples. They were really in each other's lives. But Jesus was just approaching, approaching the crucifixion and the cross. And on the other side of the cross would be the resurrection and then would be the ascension and, 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 and Jesus would be ascending to the right hand of God. And for three years, they'd been so close. Now they'd be separated. And Jesus was preparing the disciples in a sense for a transition, for a reintegration into life uh, post Christ physically being with them. And this is the instruction that he gave them. We're gonna look together at John chapter 15, verse one and two. 
Can you imagine with me as we read Jesus walking with his friends, his closest friends, into the vineyard as he sits down with them and he talks with them on the eve of the crucifixion through this as he gives them the keys to Christian life. Let's read together from John chapter 15 and verse 1 to verse 12. Jesus says to them, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You see, Jesus' desire for our lives is that we live fruit-bearing lives of much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. There's this connection between love and abiding in Jesus, abiding in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. But it's not just a kind of love that does whatever it pleases. It's a love according to God's will here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Come, let's pray together. Father, as we think through this moment of lockdown and we approach this re-entry moment with your word before us today, God, would you coach us as to what it means to be capital C citizens of heaven living in this moment, that we'd be able to represent you well and navigate this moment well. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so Jesus here is giving us a very practical metaphor for what it looks like to be a, a, a Christian, a Christ follower, a capital C citizen of heaven in this moment. And it's a picture for how to thrive as a Christ follower. It's very, very practical. So often we think of practical things as not spiritual, but Jesus completely decimates that idea. He, in no ways, practical things are deeply spiritual. And Jesus says to us very simply, you and I are branches. You and I are branches. Jesus is a vine and the Father is the vine dresser of our lives. We're not the vine and we can't live like the vine. We can't live like, like we're gods in this world. No, no, Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. We have been grafted into Jesus, fused into him. And so he has become our source of life. And the goal of every branch Jesus gives us in this passage is that of a fruitful life. 
Capital C citizens are those who've been grafted into Jesus, who are abiding in Him and in His love and in His commandments and who are being trained to live fruitful lives. So how do we do this? I've got two simple points that I'd love to speak to us straight from this text for what it looks like to do this today. Here we go. Number one is that we abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I mean, the way in which Jesus and the Father are together, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It's a parallel for how Christ loves us. Therefore, abide in my love, abide in Jesus. Life for the Christ follower is a life of abiding. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, this is a window into what it really means to be a Christian. But if you are a Christ follower, this is probably stuff you know, right? This is stuff that we're familiar with. The question is then, but why do we struggle to live like this? If we know this, why do we struggle to do this? And, and I think today the key is gonna come to us by asking this question with fresh eyes. What does to abide mean? What does the word abide mean? It's an interesting word. I think it's a word we all know what it means, but it's a word that none of us really use in our day-to-day -day language, is it? I mean, I was thinking through when we use abide. The only time I can think that we use abide is when we talk about abiding by the rules or abiding by the traffic laws, right? But we, the danger is in being so familiar with the word and not really using it, we miss the essence, the true meaning of what Jesus is calling us to. The word abide here is translated differently in different instances. It's a Greek word, menate. It's a verb and it means to abide or to dwell or to stay or to remain in, right? You get the idea. It's a verb. It's not a feeling. Jesus is not saying feel a particular way. It's a verb. It's something you do. It's a devotion. It's an act of your will. It's an action that you take. And uh and it's something that we do in terms of our fusion and our relationship to Jesus. Maybe another way we can explain this is this, this example. In the 19th century, what was called the Great French Wine Blight. I mean, it was kind of like COVID for grapes, right? It was a sickness that came into the vineyards of France and it decimated these vines. I mean, it literally nearly left none of them alive. Uh, it, it, was, um, it was a disease that came for which the French and the European vines had no antibodies for. It came across the pond from America. I think it was called Phylex, Phylexoria, Phylexia. And it came to them and, uh, and it was literally taking out these vines who had no defense or no antibodies and it was I mean it was touch and go for all the wine that was coming out of France I mean just think of all of the greatest winemaking region in the world totally lost to us and then two men had this idea and the idea was that they take the the, the French branches or vines and they graft them into American rootstocks American vines who have antibodies. And so the, the French branches, if you will, were grafted and fused into these American rootstocks. And what happens is because they were now fused into these new vines, these branches were able to draw into themselves antibodies and life that they did not have access to before. And because of them drawing this new nourishment and life, they were able to, to defeat this disease. And now French, uh, French wine is a reality in an 
ongoing way in the world simply because the, the French branches were grafted into and abiding in this new rootstock that nourished them in ways for life that they couldn't have had otherwise. This is the picture for what it means to be a Christian. We are those who draw up life from Christ. Dallas Willard. Um, Dallas Willard is an extraordinary uh, author, especially when it comes to spiritual formation. And Dallas Willard, he says this, he says this, he says, Jesus is not a remote savior waiting to welcome us into heaven after we die. He's a dynamic living force and not like force, like Star Wars, may the force be with you. He's a person, he's the, he's the second member of the Trinity. He's God, very much God of the universe, but not distant and aloof here and present with us. He's a dynamic force, a leader and a teacher to whom we apprentice ourselves to learn the sacred skills God wants us to embrace, right? You and I are branches. And the question I have for you today is this. Who have you been grafted into? Who is your life grafted into? If you're not a Christ follower, even if you are a Christ follower, how, you, how are you ongoingly staying grafted into him, fused into him? Maybe, maybe you found new ways to do that during COVID. How, how are we not going to lose I mean, I don't want to speak about COVID like it's this romantic period where everything's been wonderful. No, it's been, there's been so many hardships and so many things, but there's also been this opportunity where so many of us have been forced to live in different ways and we found new ways of living too. And some of them are so much better, some of them. And we don't want to leave them behind and, and end up forgetting them. So as capital C citizens, we are those who abide in Christ. But the truth is this doesn't happen by accident. Sorry, this doesn't happen by accident. Sometimes you just got to just cut loose and color outside the lines. As preachers, we're not, we're not going to always be uh, technically in the right. Uh, we're not going to nail it all the time is what I'm saying. We're human beings and uh, I want to have a little bit of fun today as we preach as well. So here we go. As capital C citizens of heaven, Abiding in Jesus, this doesn't happen by accident. How do we do this? Here's my second point. Pursue a life of fruitfulness by embracing limits. Pursue a life of fruitfulness by embracing limits. Uh, here we go. Here we see this in the scripture in verse two. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. This is our father, the vine bracer, that it may bear more fruit. God's goal for our lives is more fruit and there's a pruning. The truth is you and I know this, that uh, fruit comes to us today in boxes from stores, right? Not many of us are growing our own grapes in our gardens. I mean, if that's you, that's fantastic. You've got some insight into this passage that I certainly don't. And so therefore there's some things that the, the disciples, when Jesus shared this, would have kind of just known that you and taken for granted that you and I can miss. So in preparing this message, I gave my mate Roger a call. Roger's in our church. He's an outstanding winemaker and he knows about grapes and vines in ways that I completely don't. And probably the disciples did. And so I asked him, he's familiar with this passage. I said, Rog, talk to me about this process of pruning. Why do vines need to be pruned? And so much of what I'm about to share comes uh, from the perspective of a winemaker understanding vineyards and in simple ways that the disciples would have 
back then too. The thing about a branch, he says, is this, that there are endless possibilities to grow new shoots, right? Endless little nodes where branches can grow new shoots. And, and branches are wired to shoot more, to shoot out more little branches. And so the task of the vine dresser is to organize and to shape the branch towards fruitfulness by creating a structure that trains the branches to grow in a particular way and by limiting the shoots that it sends out. And by doing this, what happens is uh, you, you preserve and you protect the amount of uh, sap that each branch gets so as to maximize the fruitfulness of the branch. These days, Roger says we use wires. We've got the picture that Roger shares with us here. These days we use wires. There's all sorts of different ways. But in those days, he said, this, this goblet or head shape was what vines used to look like. Here's a practical real life example of one. It was called a goblet vine or a crown vine because above this uh, over here was a circle, if you will, and the, a circle trellis. And each of these branches would have been trained around this circle so as to grow around it. This was the structure which enabled it to grow in that particular shape. And every year, all the other side shoots were removed so as to protect and preserve the fruitfulness of the branches, making sure that they got the nourishment that they needed. The bottom line is, from, from a winemaker, fruitfulness is the result of intentionality and priority. It means focusing on the right opportunities for growth and structuring from a trellis that supports that growth. You see, branches left to themselves suffer from FOMO. They, they are wired to shoot as many shoots as they possibly can, not wanting to miss out on any opportunity to add a shoot to their lives. They are hardwired to grow more shoots. And here's the thing. Eventually what starts to happen to a branch unchecked is that it's gonna shoot so many shoots and fire off so many leaves that eventually there's not enough space for air and for light to get amongst the leaves. And it's in that place that mold and fungus grows where there's no trellis structure, the branches cannot bear up the weight of the grapes. And so what happens invariably is the grapes end up on the floor whereby they live in the dirt and they rot and the fruitfulness is lost. The bottom line is there's nothing more unfruitful than a branch living out FOMO. And I think if I'm honest today, I don't think we're talking about grapes anymore, are we? We're speaking about human beings now. Isn't this true of you and me? Our hearts have a limitless, almost infinite capacity for desire. We will shoot as many shoots towards as many things as we possibly can. We want to be everywhere and never miss out on anything. And there's a word for that. It's called omnipresent. We want to know everything that's happening with every news app and all the social media apps like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat so that we never miss anything in our world or in anyone's life, right? All knowing, there's a word for that, it's omniscient. We want to be able to do anything we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. Another word for that is omni omnipotent, right? We've stopped being branches and we're living like vines, and if we're honest, it's exhausting, man. We don't have enough space in our lives. It's like those vines where there's no space for air and light to get in and the mold of angst 
and, and low-level anger and anxiety and hypersensitivity and restlessness and irritability and emotional numbness that characterizes so much of our lives is the result of being citizens of God in a world with endless possibilities and not limiting ourselves to, to what causes us to live fruitful lives. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to tell you today, but the solution is not more time. If we had more time, the reality is we just fill it with more stuff. You and I have exactly the right amount of time for a human being every day to live a fruitful life. But the solution is slowing down and giving yourself to what matters most, what's most important, simplifying our lives and focusing on what matters most. And I think deep down intrinsically, we know this, don't we? If this makes so much sense and if this really does seem like a great way to live, why is this so hard? I mean, even practically, how do we do this? How do we practically live this way? Well, here's the answer. Like a vine, you and I, you need a trellis. I need a trellis. Uh, what, what do I mean by trellis? A trellis is an intentional structure and a schedule for our lives. An intentional structure and schedule for our lives. It, it, it's designed to channel you towards abiding in Christ and living lives of fruitfulness. And it, it critically involves, like, like in Jesus' example, setting limits. Citizens of God in a world of endless possibilities need a schedule and a structure to their lives that keep the main things the main thing. I mean, the monks of old, the ancients called it a rule of life, a rule of life. And I know rule sounds like a swear word today. We hate rules. We rebel against rules. But rule, actually, the word rule comes from the Latin word for trellis. I mean, it's true. What is a rule of life? Here's a couple of definitions. We can whiz through them together quickly. A rule of life contains spiritual, relational, vocational rhythms, ways of living, speeds of living, practices that, that are needed to sustain the life in Christ that we've been called to. Another group said, uh, the intentional prioritizing of the things we most value and the removal of things that distract us from them. Again, you see the limitations, it's focus. Andy Kratz, I mean, this guy is a genius. He says this, he says, it's simply a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. Last one, Stephen McKeer says, a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform the life God invites you to humbly fulfill for Christ's glory. Beautiful. Now, now, we say rule of life, not law, right? There's a difference between a rule and a law. A law is handed down from external sources. A law is very rigid. Uh, it's guilt and shame based and it's designed to keep us away from negative things. Now, I know there's wisdom in keeping us away from negative things, but a rule is quite different than a law. A rule is something that you construct yourself from your own desire to abide in Jesus and to pursue a life of fruitfulness. It evolves through different seasons of life and different circumstances you find yourself in. It evolves according to your needs and according to where you're at in life. It's not guilt and shame based. It's relationship based and it's designed to move you towards fruitfulness. 
every trellis or rule of life, if you will, should help us do at least three things, right? All of these things we choose to incorporate into our lives or our rule of life should help us do three things. Number one, it should help us turn ideas into reality. I mean, doesn't that sound good already? Help us turn ideas into reality. So for example, when I, when I join a life group community, uh, which I did this year, beginning of this year, we joined a life group. What I do is I take the, I take the idea or I take the, 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 the belief that God is a triune God living in community. And then I bring that from a kind of sentimental uh, view or belief that I hold into the way in which I live. And I anchor that into the reality of my life. I've taken this idea that I believe and I've put it into my reality as a Christ follower through my schedule. The second thing a rule of life should do is it should help us live in alignment with our deepest desires rising above our momentary desires. Our culture so powerfully markets to our momentary or, or even sometimes base and carnal desires. And by bringing intentionality to our diary and to our wallet our schedule and our budget, if you will, we diminish our vulnerability to manipulation to those things. And lastly, a rule of life should help you experience peace. Doesn't that sound good? Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey, you know, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said it like this. He said, we achieve peace when our schedule is aligned to our values. I can imagine Jesus nodding along with that. We achieve peace when our schedule is aligned to our values. I think for so many of us as Christ followers living in that kind of overburdened lives, what's happened is our schedule has become detached from our values of abiding in Christ and fruitfulness. And therefore we are experiencing a lack of peace as we, as we cultivate these rules of life, these, these, these ways of living, these, these new... In, created, crafted structures of life will return to greater levels of peace. Basically what I'm talking about is that every human being has got 24 hours in a day and, you, and every hour is like a rock and you've got to choose what rocks go into your life. You know, you choose seven hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep, right? That's a rock, you put it into your life. And, and the trick is that you put enough rocks that your time is, uh, you still got some margin, but you're not building these kind of rock towers that are so precariously based that we're constantly worried they're gonna fall over and topple. We've got to choose what we give ourselves to. It means choosing to give ourselves to life-giving friendships. Maybe for some of us, it's, um, it's choosing in this season to, to get help. You might realize during the season, you've got an addiction you're battling with and for the next or the near future, part of your rule of life is joining Celebrate Recovery or a recovery ministry whereby you're getting help in facing these addictions. That's building a rule of life. I think for me at one stage was, I met a guy who was a mate of mine. I was a youth pastor in the, I was in the Presbyterian church. He was in the Methodist church. I was about 21 years old. And I, we just, we were learning from each other. We were both feeling a bit isolated. We committed to spend an hour a week just having coffee, talking about youth ministry and life to learn from each other. We did it. Even when, even when we were busy, we were just relentless and disciplined about it. Do you know that it was years later when he got married and I had the great privilege of standing beside him the day that he got married and being his best man. And then it was not long after that that I was married to Lauren and there beside me was Dave because simply we had created a rule of life that said, you're important to me, your friendship matters. I'm better because you're in my life. 
And something of who I, stood, who I was that day when I gave myself to Lauren was because of the friendship that I'd had with Dave as he shaped my life to be a better human being. The, what I'm getting at is you already have a rule of life, whether it's written or it's unwritten, whether it's wise or foolish, intentional or unintentional, based on long-term vision or short-term immediate gratification. You've got a morning routine, you've got a sleep pattern, you've got a way of exercising, a way of spending money, all of these things you already have. But the question I have for you today then is, do you know what it is and do you know the way it's forming you and training you to be a particular kind of person? Last question as we move towards landing here. If this makes sense, why is this so hard? Why is it that everybody is not doing it? And the answer is this. It's because we loathe rules. We hate limitations, right? We believe as a modern generation that uh, true happiness comes from uh, absolute freedom, right? And if we're just free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, then we'll be happy. But friends, can I very gently but also very clearly say that is such nonsense, True freedom comes not from, a true happiness comes not from absolute freedom, but from the right limitations. I mean, think about it. We know this. It's my personal chosen limitations that enable me to go on living in a, in a, in a life-giving marriage to my wife, to be present with my family. In our worst moments, they keep us out of jail, right? These, these chosen limitations where we don't just do everything we, we kind of feel, right? They enable us to be part of this incredible life-given community that is Common Ground Church as we embrace the right limitations that lead towards, just like these grapes, fruitfulness and flourishing in our lives. I think it's also hard because it's this value, it cuts against our modern culture. Think about it. I mean, marketing companies, they don't want you to have a rule for your time and your money because if you don't have a rule for your time and your money, then, then you're vulnerable to the stuff that they want to get you to do and the stuff that they want to get you to buy. I know I sound a bit like a conspiracy theorist every time I talk about it, but think about it. People who don't have a rule of life are easy prey, right? Your time and your money are fair game. We've got to choose what we give ourselves to in this moment. And we've got to choose what we don't give ourselves to. You've got to let go of some things to take hold of full life in Jesus. In a world of endless possibilities, we need a deliberate plan for our lives, for our weeks, for our, even our wallets. Paul says to us in Ephesians 5, he says, Ephesians 5 verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as the unwise, but walk as the wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, now I'm gonna do something that's unprecedented, but these are unprecedented times. Come on, just give me, an unpre just give me a precedented year next year, please. Anyway, here's the unprecedented thing. I would like to give us some homework Yes, I know, homework. And part of you, some of you are cringing inside. Others of you are coming alive because you love to do extra stuff. That's fantastic. Here is the homework. Two things to do. Double homework. Can you believe it? Number one, let's do a life audit. Do a life audit. If you're married, do this as a couple. If you're, if you're single, do this and invite a close friend to come in and be a part of doing this with you. And here's what you do as a life, a life audit. You get a wad of post-its and you write down a post-it for every activity, for every priority, for every relationship in your life and you stick them on a table. 
And then as a capital C citizen, ask which of these things is helping me to abide in Jesus and to pursue a life of fruitfulness. And then be shrewd at what you pick up again and you incorporate into your life. Don't ask, is this a good thing? Ask, is this what God has for me? Because margin is a good thing too. Before you pick up something, think through its full cost and its true cost to your life. And then the second bit of homework. I'm gonna show you a slide in a second. It's very busy. Please don't get tempted to think you have to remember everything. It's just a slide for those of you guys who are watching on devices to take a screenshot of. And it's a summary of the real homework is to point you to number two, a workbook, which is in the downloads, um, the download options, the links that follow this message. This is a rule of life workbook that we've shamelessly stolen from a church that we're learning so much from called Bridgetown Church in Portland, America, and uh, they've put together this rule of life workbook that literally walks, works through, if you're able to see uh, practices in life that, that facilitate abiding in Jesus. Lou spoke so powerfully last week of, of starting your morning in scripture and in prayer, of the power of worship music, Sabbathing, silence and solitude, of rules of life for your mind, for your body. Hey, how you sleep is part of your rule of life. It's hard to be like Jesus on no sleep, right? This matters. It's hard to grow in Christ-likeness on no sleep. Just ask any parent with a young baby, right? We, it's true. Uh, the way in which we, we do relationships, prioritizing key relationships in our lives, that's life group. You know, as we live out the triune God in our faith community, that's date night if you're married. That's, that's regular coffee dates and meals with the most important people in your life so that we don't just leave it to chance, but we, we, we tie ourselves into what really matters the most. Rest rhythms as well. Rhythms for work to be, to be, it's not just that we do nothing. It's not like we're just trying to carry on with, the, the lockdown ceasing. No, we're fruitful people in society. What, is the, what does it look like to give your best self to, your, to, your, to what's most important in your work? And gospel and hospitality. I'm not gonna get into too much detail now. But, but basically we're not starting from a blank canvas when we're for, forming a rule of life. There are universal things that are that wisdom in the scripture and wisdom from church history through, through thousands of years of people following Jesus, abiding in him and, uh, and pursuing lives of fruitfulness that we can learn from and incorporate into our lives. To be a capital C citizen in a world of endless possibility means that we are to abide in Jesus. Practically, ongoingly, we do so by pursuing a life of fruitfulness, by embracing limitations and creating with intentionality a rule of life that makes sure that we keep the main thing in our lives, the main thing. Let's not just get swept up into society the way things always were, but let's re-enter, let's engage in a way in which that makes, brings heaven to earth through fruitfulness and brings heaven deeper into us by abiding. I'd love to land us in prayer as we come to communion. And so, um, yes, there's homework and you can get there later, but uh, let's take a second together um, and let's pray as we meet with Jesus in communion right now in our own homes. And so in my hand is the, the symbol of, of Jesus' body, the bread that was broken for us and, uh, and the grape juice that was representative of Jesus' blood that was shed for us.
I want to lead us in prayer as we think of these two elements. Jesus, thank you so much that as we approach this table of the elements of bread and wine, that we remember this is a table of nourishment for our souls. We are branches. We are not vines with the ability to self-generate all that we need. We don't have all that we need to be happy and whole in life. We need you and we lack nothing in you. So right now as Christ followers, we choose to be reminded that we are grafted into you and our souls abide in you, Jesus. I pray right now in every home, for every individual on every screen, that we would experience the life-giving vitality that comes from Jesus. It's not found anywhere else in the world. Jesus, right now we bring you our desires. We bring you our desires to be everywhere, to know everything, to be able to do everything we want to do. These desires that if left unchecked, actually ruin us, Jesus. And we bring them before you and we say, God, help limit us. You, Father, you prune us in life-giving ways. You prune us in life-giving ways. Jesus, lead us as we seek to think through how we live, how we re-navigate this moment of re-entry. Jesus, coach us, we pray. God, it's hard to embrace limitations. But Christ, you are a life-giving source of discipline, of courage, of patience, of strength to be able to do this. And so Jesus, come and empower us, I pray. As we partake of the bread and of the, of the wine, Jesus in a sense, the only reason we get to choose a trellis that is so life-giving for our lives is because you chose the, tr the trellis of the cross. Where you went to this, you went to this place of pain, you, you, you narrowed your life to this one point so as that our lives would be able to be opened up to endless possibilities of life. And so Jesus, even in limiting ourselves, we, we thank you that we are able to choose life today because you chose the trellis of the cross 2,000 years ago. And therein is our means of grace and life, both this side of, of death and even next. And so come Christ and lead us, we pray. We're so grateful. We're so needy before you. We choose today to abide in you. Come and meet us now. As we listen to the song, here's, a, here's, some, here's some space just to connect with Jesus as you partake in communion in your homes.